Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This time from Denver, Colorado. My special guest this week, the governor of Colorado, Jared Polis. And we'll have an extended conversation about everything about the travel business, overcapacity, climate change, over-tourism, the challenges of the travel workforce and keeping them, and oh yes, Rocky Mountain oysters. Then we'll go dancing with Michaela Malozzi, Emmy Award-winning producer and the host of the PBS show, Bare Feet. But first up, the governor of Colorado, Jared Polis. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 
Mr. Governor, thank you for welcome. Peter, we're excited to have you back here in colorful Colorado. Welcome to our great state. And spoken like a man who wants to promote the state. Um, well, you know, the word has gotten out already that Colorado is the best place to be. So, uh, you know, I'll, I, I, it doesn't even take me to promote it. People know that Colorado is a place to be. Well, let's put this in some, in some time context. Of course, you go back just two and a half years ago to the pandemic. Colorado was on everybody's radar. Let's move there. Um, because you know, people could breathe. People could do social distancing baked into the geography. Um, that, of course, gave you some challenges, too. Well, you know, our, our, our ski resorts had record seasons uh, that year. And by the way, this year, we have absolutely incredible snow. We're at about 130% of normal snow. So uh, I invite everybody uh, to beautiful western Colorado. Here's a little travel trip to tip. If you can, weekdays are, are generally better. Us locals like to go on weekends. Uh, we work here. And of course, if you can only make it on a weekend, by all means, come. But you're likely to get better deals and have less um, uh, wait times at lifts. Really, no wait time at lifts on scared? weekdays. Absolutely, I'll be I'll be skiing this week. Our kids are 11 and 8, and they they want to go every weekend, which we can't do. I'm lucky to get in two or three weekends a year. But you're going. On the That's weekend, why I want to make sure your out of state listeners don't come in on weekends because I want to be able to get up there on the weekend myself and hide. Uh, well, so do many Denverites and Coloradans <laughs> and Boulderites. But uh, no, great snow. And you're right during the pandemic. Our main, uh, you know, recreational value, camping, hiking, biking, uh, rafting, fishing, skiing, boarding. These are all things that uh, boom during the pandemic. Um, and uh, because they were all things that people could do outdoors, everything was open here. And, uh, and, and really, we're coming off of those record seasons. Uh, and this year, we're glad to have record snow. So uh, we'll probably, we have great skiing now and, you know, late March. And uh, I expect, and this is another little known secret, we will have uh, one or two of our ski resorts that are open into june uh, perhaps even into july but um That's very likely in california too by the yeah way. so very likely breckenridge and arapahoe basin are usually open into june it's certainly possible this year every now and then once a decade we get like july 4 skiing we're hoping this year is one of those but we, we can't count on it yet but we'll if see, it back keeps in up, new york we'll where we haven't had any snow this year we're fully expecting cross-country skiing in april I just thought I'd mention that. There you go. Yeah. I, I don't, in the city, in Manhattan? Or oh, what? I've seen it happen. Yeah, there you oh, go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you mentioned Western Colorado. So many people didn't just move to Denver. They moved further west. That's right, especially with this, like, what we know, telecommuting, location-independent yeah. employment. So, I mean, more jobs now. I mean, you know, if you have to be where your job is, you have to be where your job is. But many people, uh, everything from professionals, you know, lawyers, accountants, to people that work for big companies, now have the ability to work remotely. There's other kinds of jobs where, let's say you're in sales or marketing, maybe you have to travel a lot, even like yourself. You travel a lot for your work. You could live in Western Colorado if you wanted to. Just don't tell anybody. We won't tell anybody. Okay, good. So, um, so, absolutely. Now, what has that done? Um, it's, it's really helped revive many of our rural economies because we have, you know, we always think about the famous mountain towns, Aspen Vale, of course, but there are so many beautiful mountain towns in Western Colorado, but there weren't a lot of ways to you know, have a high level job locally, right? These are small towns. So now with telecommuting, you can live in beautiful Western Colorado, you know, an hour from the best skiing in the world and you can work out of San Francisco, New York, et cetera. And if you need to go there once a month, you can. And of course, that brings up airlift, because the biggest problem we have domestically in this country is airlines reducing service on domestic routes. We're seeing uh, cities like Toledo, Ohio, and Ithaca, New York, and Islip, Long Island, and Moline, Illinois, with airlines saying, we can't afford to fly there anymore, and they're pulling out. So the good news about Colorado is uh, Denver is a major hub for United and Southwest. Uh, and by the way, Southwest used to say they would never fly to Denver. 
And now they're the number two airline, right? Big hub, yeah. And then we have a local low-cost carrier, Frontier, yeah. who, if you're into that, is wonderful. I mean, right? I mean, you, you know, 29 49 bucks. They even have fly as much as you want pass for like 500 bucks. You know, have, uh, you, you, have you flown Frontier? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, well, you know, I, I was in Congress for 10 years, so I had, I had to commute every week. Back to Reagan. Uh, absolutely. And, and United was my, uh, you know, preferred airline. But based on schedule, I flew Frontier probably a third of the time. Yeah. And, you know, they don't realize that Frontier just started service to Jamaica. They're starting service Caribbean to, they all have, over. They, they have a huge network now. And here's what I advise. You, you might find, you know, you might live wherever you live. You might live in Minneapolis. You may live in Salt Lake. You may find that taking Frontier through Denver is probably your least expensive route to the Caribbean or Mexico. And spend a couple days in Denver while you're here. Check it out. So Add to your you vacation. Need, okay, so what you need to do, Governor, is to make sure the airlines don't charge you an additional charge for stopping en route. Uh, well, I don't think they charge for that. They charge for every other little thing they can, right? So, I mean... Hey, you've flown Frontier. Absolutely. I mean, so, you know, bag fees, et cetera. But by the way, you know, it's still the best deal. So, I mean, if you're price sensitive, yeah. you're going to want uh, Frontier, others like it. Obviously, because of Frontier's presence here and Southwest presence is here, United is also very competitive. And here's another little fact. United has its pilot training center uh, right here I've, in I've Denver. i the simulators there. You probably have. Oh, yeah. And I, I didn't know this until recently, but every United pilot in their entire system, international, domestic, Has to come comes to Denver. Denver once every nine months yeah. for ongoing training. I know. And and people forget that in the old days, that was Continental's training area too. They did a lot of simulator training. It's been there. significantly upgraded from those days, yes, as it you has. know. Uh, but yes, it's it absolutely terrific. United continues to increase their presence here. And we have beautiful, incredible improvements at the airport, at Denver International Airport occurring. Now, you know, pardon the dust. Of course, it's a little challenging during the process. Uh, there's areas that are a little inconvenient. But, but you and I go back to the days when DIA stood for don't, doesn't include airplanes. Oh, my goodness. It's I mean, incredible I mean, now. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's going to be adding even more gates and more direct nonstop service to more destinations when it's complete. Well, I will tell you this. When I came to Denver this time, I flew nonstop from London. That's a new route. Yeah, absolutely. We have, uh, we have European routes. We have Tokyo. Uh, we're looking at other Asian routes. So we have a significant international routes. And, of course... Uh, anywhere in the Caribbean basin, Mexico, uh, lots of uh, affordable routes. And you know that it also means people can get here. So we have a lot of tourists from all over the world. Um, and one thing that was interesting during the pandemic is like most places, we didn't have our Asian tourists or our European tourists because they, they, they weren't able to, for their own countries, had protocols that, you know, maybe they had to quarantine 14 days if they went went back at so, their own expense too. right so we had mostly domestic so we did this all with domestic tourism domestic tourism boom now we're beginning to see our international travelers come back which we're very excited to welcome in our uh in our resort destinations as well as the city of denver so the real question which is not just for you it's for every destination in america is the job situation uh, especially in the service industry and the travel industry uh, they lost so many people during the pandemic. I have no idea where they went. If you can let me know where they went, I'd love to know. But they not necessarily have come back. We have in Colorado, and this is not too different than many other states that are doing well and booming, uh, we have two job openings for every unemployed person right now. Now, you know, there's sometimes going to be some skills alignment right. or gaps and people need to be trained up. But we're doing a couple things to improve the situation here in Colorado. One is we're focusing on childcare and free preschool. We start free preschool this fall. We never had that in Colorado. It was a big initiative of mine. That allows people to go to work. Absolutely. It involves a parent to be able to go to work a year sooner if they choose. You know, you, you it's a big bring, deal. You bring up an interesting point because uh, you may remember the supermodel Petronemkova. She was 
very seriously injured and left, left to die during the, during the tsunami back in 2004 in Thailand. She lost her fiancé. And when she recovered, which nobody thought she would, she learned something very interesting, that the only way you can rebuild communities is to rebuild the schools first. Yep. Because if you build the schools, then the parents can go to work, and the economic base then thrives. So that's what you're really talking about. It really is. High-quality preschool. We have full-day kindergarten. When I became governor, we only had half-day kindergarten. Parents had to pay for full day. So it's for the, first and foremost, the benefits to the kids, the, the, the skills they get, um, especially kids from disadvantaged backgrounds or non-English speaking will be able to perform at grade level as they enter school, but also that immediate workforce benefit today uh, for the families, for the parents. Um, that's one way. The other way we want to make progress, and this is a big issue we're leaning into now, is how we make housing more affordable in our state. Now, look, we're a lot less expensive than Los Angeles and California. We get that. But because of that, we've had Californians and New Yorkers move okay. to Colorado. That's putting upward pressure on prices, right? It's one thing to say we've got job openings, but we have to make a place for people to live. That's right. And, and that's one of the things we hear from companies looking at locating here. How do we, uh, how can our workforce afford to live there? Our, our average home price, Denver Metro area, is about $570,000. Now, if you're in LA or New York, you say, wow, that's cheap. But if you're in Ohio or, or you know, other areas, you say that's expensive. So what do we need more housing? So we're looking at removing barriers and reducing red tape to create more housing. And that's our, our big focus working with the legislature this session is how we can make sure Colorado can develop in a sustainable way. It means more opportunities to live affordably near where jobs are on transit corridors because we want to preserve our open space. But we also have to be conscious about the water situation. So that's really what we're leaning into now to make sure that Colorado remains an affordable place to live as well as, well as being a great place to live for the next few decades. And I got to bring up the elephant in the room, climate change, because it applies to everybody. We're seeing canals in Venice running out of water. We're seeing what's going on at Lake Mead in, in Nevada, uh, you know, Lake Powell. What's happening in Colorado? Yeah. So everybody we, was stealing water from you. They are. Right. This is where the, we're the origin state. Yeah. We, much of it originates here. We're the upper basin states along with, uh, you know, Utah, Wyoming for the water. So we're, we're in a better legal situation with regard to the water because it does start here. But effectively what's happening across the Colorado River Basin states is the water that had been promised and divided up is simply no longer there. And it's not likely to be there most years for the foreseeable future. So we are, of course, want to do our part. I mean, the states that are going to ha- in the most difficult situation are going to continue to be Arizona, Nevada, and, and California. Um, but we are absolutely looking to up our game on water stewardship. How we do our housing policy is frankly a big part of that because we need to make sure that uh, we do it in a way where people have a lower uh, per capita water usage without sacrificing the quality of life at all. Question that I'm not a scientist, but I would think, you know, desalination is not a new idea. Uh, maybe not for Colorado, but for Nevada and California and Arizona, if they had laid pipe 25 years ago, we might have a different conversation. Now. Yeah, that's not, as you said, for Colorado, that's not the answer. I, I know but, that. Yeah. But absolutely, I think that's where a, a lot of the states that have those ocean resources, water resources are likely to go. Um, they're simply not going to get more water out of, you know, Colorado, Wyoming, Utah. It's simply not there. And, and uh, that flow will continue to be diminished uh, with climate change. So where do you reach the point of diminishing returns where you, you, the growth can't, con- can't continue because the supplies aren't there? Well, I think it has to be incorporated into, I mean, especially what you have in, you know, for instance, Phoenix area, and you've been there in many parts of uh, Nevada. I mean, you have cities in deserts, uh, right. and you basically have agriculture in deserts, and these are areas that do not naturally have water. And so the question is, how do you get water? How do you pay for it? Uh, for a while, those issues were deferred because there was enough water in the Colorado River Compact, but for two reasons. Uh, that, that sort of convention of the 20th century no longer holds. One is less water and climate change. The second is simply more demand and more population. 
in Arizona, in California, Nevada. So, I mean, the demand today is a lot greater than it was 50 years ago, um, a lot greater than it was 100 years ago. So, less water, more demand. That's why we are where we are. And, of course, there's a bad cycle here. You see it in California where you have drought. Then the, then, then the roots can't hold anything. You have mudslides, then you have forest fires. It just continues. To yeah, we're, and as I mentioned, we're in a stronger situation in Colorado. Uh, much of eastern Colorado agriculture uh, has Ogallala Aquifer and, and subsurface water that it accesses. Uh, we are, as I said, the upper basin state along with Utah and Wyoming where the water originates. But it doesn't mean we're immune to the issues, but right. we don't have the same challenges that Arizona, Nevada, and California have. Yet. Well, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a different nature of the challenges. Right. I mean, we are, um, as I said, especially in areas that have access to underground aquifers, we're in a stronger situation. I mean, there's a whole nother issue around that. I mean, the, the, many of those underwater aquifers have also uh, been decreasing in those areas that were irrigated and now are dry land, but they still, uh, in a sustainable way, if we manage them effectively through our water basins, are able to power the ag economy in much of our state. All right, so here gets, here's the point where you get to have some fun. All right. I've never been to Colorado before. Where are you going to take me? Oh, my goodness. Let's see. Um, I will take you all over the state, but let's see. Uh, one, we actually now have a, um, in the San Luis Valley, which you absolutely need to visit, uh, we now have um, a stork migration, annual stork migration festival, not too far from Alamosa. It's through most of much of March. 20,000 storks uh, make about a one-month residency, uh, uh, not too far from Alamosa. And you would love the San Luis Valley, Del Norte, Alamosa, uh, Mancus, a number of great towns down there. It's kind of the uh, cultural heart of Colorado. Uh, of course, was a part of the Spanish Empire before the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which we're currently celebrating the and 150th people don't anniversary. The Spanish of. were here. Absolutely, uh, the Southern Colorado, about the southern third of Colorado, was part of uh, Mexico until yeah. uh, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, and um, and 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 there's families that were Spanish land grant families still living in the area, of course, and um, it's a very uh, if you like. The, the culinary aspect, the cultural aspect, the nature aspect. I mentioned the storks. Uh, spring is a great time to visit the San Luis Valley. And that's the only place you're taking me? Oh, I'm going to take you all over. Uh, <laughs> from there, um, you know, and I'm going to, I'm not going to mention the ones you know. I mean, you know Aspen, you know Vale. I mean, you know, you know, uh, you, know that you don't need to talk about those. No. Um, so let's go to fall. Um, late summer, fall. Uh, we're going to take you down to La Junta, uh, Otero County, Los Animas County, and we're going to witness the tarantula migration. And Say that again. Yeah. What would you, do you like tarantulas? Are you a tarantula guy? You look like a tarantula guy, Peter. Are you a tarantula guy? Well, of course. We got that in common, right? <laughs> okay. So I'll go with that. You want to see hundreds of tarantulas? I'll, I'll say yes. They're about as big as the palm of your hand. So um, every October... Uh, this is on Comanche National Grasslands, beautiful national park. There's also some canyons there if you're into horseback riding, uh, not too far from the city of La Junta in southeast Colorado. Uh, you can go out on a, um, uh, on, a, on a late summer, fall day, and you will see scurrying across the ground a number of, uh, a number of tarantulas. Please elaborate. So oh, I will, and then I want to go back and talk about some of the others. So yeah, so anyway, um, you, you can see that every year, uh, essentially it's the male tarantulas looking for females. So you can see a bunch of horny male tarantulas <laughs> scurrying across the ground. Very exciting. Highly recommended. La Junta tarantula tourism. Can I ask the obvious question? Mm -hmm. Are these the poisonous tarantulas? No, no, they're not. Okay. Uh, you, you know, and, and uh, no, Mr. I, they, Bond, they, you're going no, to die. Of course not. 
they've, cr- you know, I, I've held them. They crawl on me. I, you're, we're no longer encouraged to hold them, but if they crawl over your foot, they crawl over your foot. It's fine. Um, but no, they, they can, they can, uh, so you can deal can, with the legislature. They can now, bite. They you can, can bite, deal with the legislature right. now because you held the tarantulas. Oh, well, actually the tarantula is a lot easier than that. I can tell you that much. Um, the, um, the other thing I want to talk about is in addition to our famous national parks, everybody knows right. I'm not, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park, sure. Sand Dunes. We're not going to talk about those. What I am going to talk about is our 42 state parks. So like many states, Colorado is super proud of our state park system. And the national parks are great, but they, they're busy and they get a lot of traffic. So if you're looking for a little bit off the beaten trail, beautiful park experiences, right? So a park experience is more improvements than just the bush. You can go in the bush if you want. You can go hunting, whatever. We have that. Um, but if you want accommodations, maybe you want a campsite, maybe you just, you know, want a trail, uh, look up Colorado state parks. We have 42 of them. Some of them have lakes. Uh, they're absolutely gorgeous. Our two newest ones, one is in Trinidad in Southern Colorado, uh, Fisher's peak, a beautiful flat top, uh, Mesa, which, uh, it'll be an easy hike. It'll be open by this summer, midsummer. Uh, it's about a two mile hike or so to the peak. That's manageable. Very manageable. And then our other new one is, um, Sweetwater Lake, which is Dotsero exit on Highway 70. So it's about an hour west of Vail, an hour and a half hour west of Vail. Uh, and it is a beautiful mountain lake where we have, uh, there's a wharf and, and lake activities, but also just a beautiful, uh, a beautiful area. All right. Last question before we let you go. Right, you've got me running all over the state now. Where are we eating? Oh my goodness. You we have amazing food in Colorado. So I mentioned uh, sort of our, you know, culinary tradition in the San Luis Valley, um, great culinary towns, obviously, you know, Denver is more of what you call the, you know, world-class cosmopolitan culinary center. So you're going to have everything here outside of Denver. Um, I like Pueblo. Um, we have authentic kind of Pueblo cuisine, which is a melding of kind of the Hispanic influence along with some of the other, um, immigrants that have made their home in Pueblo over the years, some great food in, uh, in Pueblo. Um, I, uh, also like, um, uh, I, you know, Boulder has a lot of high end and, uh, farm to table type dining experiences if you're into that. Um, so there's, you know, and then of course, as I said, Denver prides itself on great culinary diversity, lots of top champion chefs in the area. We have fun with different pop-up restaurants and chefs that come in over time and, um, you know, lots of opportunities for culinary explorations here. And don't forget to try the Rocky Mountain oysters. You had to do that, didn't you? Well, have you had some yet? Why don't you explain what they are? Well, um, as only you can. Well, absolutely. They're simply fried bull testicles. This concludes the show. <laughs> come on down and have some, Peter. <laughs> Next time you come, I'll have set some out for you. Okay. And you're going to tell me they taste just like chicken. They're best during castration season. Stop this! Unbelievable. Are you serious? Well, of course, absolutely. What else are you going to do with the bull testicles during castration season? And, and the person who actually does this has to be a very bold person. Well, we have a lot of uh, cowboys here in Colorado. Yes. And that's right now we're in calving season. So uh, we catch them as they come out. And then uh, another season is going to be the castration season. And we have branding as well. You want to join me to brand some cattle sometime? I'll do that with you, yeah. You like that better than castrating cattle? What do you think? I don't know. It's up to you. It's a no, personal preference you know preference exactly thing. the answer. Okay. Well, brand them. There you go. <laughs> Because, if see, if I went to castrate them, then they'd brand me. Well, you get to take something home when you castrate them to eat. Now you're getting out of control. Well, it's just, uh, you know, it's yet another reason to visit Colorado. <laughs> that can't be the primary reason. No, it's, it's more like an auxiliary reason. It's just like it's extra benefit you get when you come by. But, I mean, you, you come for the whitewater rafting, you stay for the bull testicles. <laughs> what, what club are you performing at? 
Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you know, just uh, busy being governor for the next few years, but uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll join you on the circuit afterwards. You How about got that? it. Oh, my God. Last question. For somebody who's never been to Colorado, right, what's the first thing that's going to surprise them that they're not expecting? Well, you know, I, I think usually, as I said, they're coming for something outdoor recreation related. I think in general, people will be pleasantly surprised by our friendly people. Uh, we are, uh, you know, uh, not as kind of hardcore and, and, and as the East Coast or even rude. And I think we're a little bit more um, practical in the West Coast. So I think they'll find a great resource in our people. Coloradans are helpful. Um, you know, if you in doubt about where to eat or where to go, just ask somebody who's a local, and I'm sure they'll be happy to. And if you're really hard up for the you. Rocky Mountain oysters, talk to the governor. Uh, we can hook you up. My thanks to Governor Polis. And if you believe that dance is a powerful form of communication, then Michaela Malozzi will prove it. She's the multi-Emmy-winning host of Bare Feet on PBS, and her quest for dance and dancing around the world is also a part of powerful storytelling. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Michaela Malazzi, how are you? Hi, Peter. How are you? Good. So I'm, I'm going to just get right into this because Bare Feet sure. is really about dancing all around the world, or I should say dance around the world. It is, and dancing. You know, in every destination that I go, I learn the dance and music from the people that are gracious enough to share their culture and their music and dance with me. It's, I think it's the best way to travel, personally. I will tell you that uh, when I went down, I, you know, when I was a kid, I actually went to dance class when I was about 11 years old, and I learned things like the Lindy and the Foxtrot and the Charleston, yeah. um, the Waltz, which I was then completely re <laughs> turned around when I finally went to Vienna and realized that the American right. Waltz is nothing like the Viennese Waltz. But Exactly. But exactly. when I really immersed myself in the culture was in the Malangas in Buenos Aires. When I went to those mm. uh, you know, the tango clubs at 11.30 at night, which is actually going early, and, uh, and somebody got me out on the floor and was kind to me because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could get hurt if you don't know what you're doing. But yeah. in the process of doing that, I learned so much about the neighborhoods, about the culture, and about the history, which is really what your show is all about. And about the people, right, Peter? I mean, the person that you were dancing with, they're really taking you in on their life, on, on who they are, on what this dance represents. And I think that's what um, sometimes we're missing when we travel. We feel like, how do I connect with locals? How do I connect not just with the culture and the beautiful scenery and the history, but the actual people. 
And for me, dance is an immediate way to do that because you're you're touching someone else very respectfully, obviously. And when you were talking about going to Milongas, I started getting goosebumps because Argentina, Buenos Aires is one of my favorite destinations. It's one of my favorite episodes that we've ever filmed. And it's true. You, you really feel the passion of the dance, the passion of the people. And you understand a lot of the culture based on the movements, on the music and all of those things. So yeah, it's it's an amazing way to really immerse yourself into a culture pretty immediately, pretty immediately. And think about this, throw the language barriers out the window because dance is its own language and it's a, it's, a yep. very, it's it's almost an easier way to to get into it. It is, and that's how the idea of the show started when I would travel for fun. I obviously don't speak hundreds and hundreds of languages that exist in the world, but I do speak the language of dance and so immediately these friendships were built. I like to say I make new friends by dancing with strangers. And that's been the truth for all these years that I've been dancing. I'm able to go back to these destinations and feature a lot of people that I've met along the way in episodes of my show. And I, I think it's a true honor to say that these people have become my friends over the years. It's amazing. It's really amazing. I mean, you know, there are the traditional cultural dances of a, of a country or a region. And then there's, I mean, let's not forget, there's the club scene, too. I mean, yep. Yep. T- talking about dancing with strangers, my goodness. Um, in, yeah. in all of your travels, um, and, and look, I do not fancy myself as a great dancer. I, I, I do my best. Uh, but there are dances out there that scare me. Uh, there are dances out, I mean, you know, <laughs> in Ireland, I, I couldn't do what Michael Flatley does. You know, it, it's just, you sit there and you go, I would be in orthopedic surgery. Um, so are, are there dances, I mean, are you saying to me that on every show that you do, you're doing every one of those dances? Yes. Oh my God. And look, I, I'm a trained dancer. I grew up dancing. I love dancing. I'm not doing this to be a, to become a professional Irish dancer, step dancer like a Michael Flatley, or, nor a professional tango dancer. But what I am doing is giving myself the grace to try. And I think that's what a lot of travelers need to give themselves, is the grace to mess up, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. And I'm the first to show on my series every time I mess up, because that's when it's the most fun, right? I'm laughing with someone else. They're, they're, it's very lighthearted, and people see that I don't care if I, I make a fool of myself. Granted, I'm able to pick it up fairly quickly because that's my job. This is what I do for a living. But at the same time, I really hope it, it inspires other people to step out of their comfort zone, whether they want to try a dance class or a music class or a painting course or you know, do something that gets them a little uncomfortable, but enough that they feel that they can connect with someone else and share that vulnerability in a, in a, in a very safe and positive way. So yes, I try every single dance, every place I go, I'm like, maybe this is the time that I don't get it. I mean, I show, we were in, in Scotland celebrating Hogmanay for the new year and I tried to play the bagpipes. I'm also a musician. It was a disaster. It felt like a dying animal was being squeezed between my arms. I mean, and you have to laugh about it, which shows, you know, the amount of skill and years of training to do all of these things. But it really dives into the humor of it a little bit, but also what the culture means, where the history of that instrument came from, what it represents for the people, the pride of the Scots, you know. So it's just stepping out of your comfort zone just a little bit, just a little bit. You know, when I remember going to, to the Lao Archipelago in Fiji, very difficult islands to get to, it's all about the dance. And when they tell you the dance, they, they tell you the story of their ancestors. They tell you the story of how they came to the island, how they fought battles, how they won, 
how they lost, how they, you know, how they see their future. It's all of, it's all part of that dance, isn't it? It is. And we have an episode that we did in the Cook Islands, very similar. The, the Polynesian culture um, is all about storytelling, but all dance is really about storytelling. And I think a lot of people forget the music and the dance is interconnected in almost every single culture. If you look at the Caribbean, a lot of those dances and music come from West Africa, which is almost a miracle that any of those rhythms even exist today and have survived. So it's about preservation of culture, perseverance of the people, storytelling through movement, storytelling through singing, through song. And dance is that language. Dance is that language to connect people and to as an identity of a culture, you know? So I think that's why there's so much pride behind dance. There's also the concept of protecting that culture through dance and not letting it get corrupted. Um, I remember on that same trip to Fiji, which goes back to like the late 70s, I was in the middle of an island that had no radio, no television, no communication except an emergency radio that they could use one hour a day if they needed to. So their connection with the outside world was very limited and yet, at night one night, one of the kids was doing the moonwalk for me. Um, wow. And where did they get it, right? Somebody actually showed up about, you know, a, a week earlier with some sort of a, of, a, of a film. It was a film with a small camera, and they saw Michael Jackson. And next thing you know, that became the dance of that island. So, in a way, I was sort of upset by it, only because I didn't want them to lose what they had already. Well, you have to think over the years, thousands and thousands of years of evolution, is that dance evolves just like human language evolves, people immigrate. So there's, there are dances that didn't exist 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, and have evolved and, and merged with other dances. You know, I think that protection, there's a double-edged sword, right? I went to the islands of, of Guadeloupe, in Guadeloupe, uh, in the French Caribbean. They have a protected dance called Guoca. It's an intangible heritage recognized by UNESCO. But at the same time, there's this evolution of musicians and dancers that are taking their Guadalupean heritage, the Guoca roots, and creating more modern music, contemporary music, along with giving sort of a, a nod to their Guoca heritage, and then bringing a whole new audience to this style of music that they may never have heard of. So... Yes, there is a beautiful way to preserve the culture, but I think dance and music and humans have evolved forever. So we can't really freeze that, but at the same time honor it and then continue to build on the evolution of we want more and more people to see these beautiful, beautiful rhythms. There's a difference between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation. And I think that's where it gets a little, little, little hairy sometimes. But for the people whose culture this is, and they are evolving it within their own community. It's a beautiful thing to keep that preserved, but also evolving for the future. Okay, so I've got to ask this question. In all of your travels, what's the one dance that you were the, the, the proudest that you were able to master, and what's the one dance you had no chance? Oh, my gosh. Well, there's a few, and I'm thinking, actually, tango is a very difficult dance. Tango is a very, very difficult dance. And in our episode, I had just learned tango that week. We were filming for five days. I was in Buenos Aires. It was the second episode I've ever filmed. And all of a sudden, I knew I was going to be in a professional tango show called Tango Porteño. It's a very famous show um, right in, in Buenos Aires, in the heart of the city. And I thought I was going to be a background dancer. And I meet with the choreographer, and he says, you're going to be a featured dancer. I literally had just started learning tango five days before. So I was so incredibly nervous. 
But then as I was coming on stage, I produced my show just like you, Peter. You know, we're independent producers on public television. This was my dream. I dreamt to be a host and producer of this show where I travel and dance around the world. And I thought, you know, Michaela, there's no reason to be nervous. You're living your dream. And right before I went on stage, I had this huge smile on my face. It wasn't perfect, but we did it. And the crowd applauded. I literally was in tears. I was so nervous. So that's my proudest moment. And I've kept that within me of reminding me every time I get a little bit nervous, which I don't really anymore because I remind myself, you're living your your dream, Michaela, of traveling the world, connecting with people through dance and music. My thanks to Michaela, to Governor Polis, and my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, just rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, the answer's easy. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.